Hey, it's great to see you guys. We are starting a series uh, called Summer at the Lake. Can you guys believe that it's already July? Isn't that, doesn't that kind of stink? Or le- for those of us who love summer, those of you who love winter, then boo. You know? But anyhow, uh, we're here at the uh, 4th of July. Hopefully you guys are, are uh, having some family time or whatever, some barbecues, that kind of stuff, just some fun things. But, uh, uh, but we're starting a new series that I'm extremely excited about called Summer to Lake. And as we've been talking about this, we've been talking about... Um, you know, taking a look at Jesus' ministry as he uh, went around the lake teaching. This is the first part of his uh, ministry, uh, per se, as the onset of his ministry. Uh, when we take a look at him uh, in this particular context, we see that he just came from the... Um, from the desert, where the Holy Spirit led him into the, to, to the desert to be tempted, and uh, it didn't thwart him, it didn't knock him off uh, track, but he continued uh, to follow the mission and the vision that God, God the Father had placed upon his life, the calling upon his life. And so, uh, as we take it, we're going to take a look at that, and today, again, is we're going to really look at the onset of his ministry, because this is uh, when he called his first disciples. And if you would turn to Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to read a couple verses to you uh, that... Um, Essentially, and, and from this, uh, I want to share with you some thoughts about the difference between being a Christian and a Christ follower. And I know sometimes when we say that, uh, you know, you've, you know, there's books and and different people who go off on tie, you know, tirades the you know difference of being a Christian and Christ follower. And I don't want this to be a negative thing, but I do want to draw, I, I do want to draw a little bit of a difference from it and just kind of share with you some thoughts about. Uh, about that. And so as we take a look at uh, this, the, these verses uh, found in chapter 4 of Matthew, uh, verses 18 and 19, it says this, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and again, this was often called the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of uh, Gennesaret, and, and the sea, here it says the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now, a couple of things I want to share with you. If we can just kind of look at this story, kind of, kind of just think about it, you know. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna look into it a little bit, and I could be, I could be wrong about some of these things, you know. But, but just kind of, you know, the text doesn't say a whole lot about this this particular setting. But if we just kind of think about it a little bit, I think we can entertain a couple of thoughts. Uh, first of all. I don't think this, when, he, when Jesus came to them and said, he said to, to uh, uh, Peter and Andrew, hey, follow me, I don't think it was a, like a cold call, meaning that it was something that was just like completely out of the clear blue, as if, you know, they didn't know who Jesus was. I think they might have had some um, uh, suspicion who Jesus was. Maybe, you know, as, as we read, you know, as we read throughout, and as we just kind of think about it, uh, Jesus... Uh, uh, you know, the onset of his ministry, there was a lot of things happening. John the Baptist was on the scene, and he was really, he was really uh, just casting some fire and, 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 and throwing stones, if you would, uh, metaphorically, uh, at, at things, and just a lot of hype going on. And so when Jesus came on the scene, uh, I, think, I think that maybe, maybe Peter and Andrew had an, uh, had an idea of, of, of hearing about this Jesus. Maybe, they, maybe, you know, as he was going about and preaching and teaching, maybe they caught some of that. Uh, we know that that Jesus did miracles. We know that he healed incurable diseases, whether it be, uh, you know, of, of, of individuals themselves or people bringing family to them or whatever, casting demons out, the presence of demons, uh, you know, out of people and things like that. I mean, there were some things going on. And maybe, just maybe, and again, we're just kind of just kind of thinking here, maybe, maybe there, you know, there was a time where they, uh, uh, you know, took a long lunch break and, and heard about this 
Jesus and they kind of went out and checked out some of the some of the hype, some of the vibe, whatever, you know. But I'm not so sure it was a cold call. I think they had this sense that there was this Messiah that was going to show up on the scene and things were, you know, things of the times were just kind of gearing towards that direction. As we as we look at this too, I don't think it was a call to leave their fishing business and to take up on a, a, a business of religion. I don't think that's what he was asking here. I don't think it was a career change. In fact, I think it was something different. I think it was more of a call to follow him with their whole lives. And so when Jesus said, I want you to follow me, I don't think he was saying, okay, I don't want you to make your livelihood off fishing anymore. I want you to go be a pastor. I want you to go be a missionary. I want you to go do this, that, or the other. I, think it, I don't think it was that at all. I think he was placing this call upon their lives to say this. I want all of your lives. I want your whole beings. I want your life to to follow me and so from that moment on these guys were known as christ followers and following jesus defined following jesus following this man defined their whole life and notice what he didn't say to peter and andrew he didn't say hey come be christians hey go through this five-step process or go through this class or do this do that and become a christian but he said come follow me and there's a book called jesus with dirty feet to read just a couple excerpts uh, to, um, to you from that. He says this. Uh, the author says that Jesus was not a Christian. He, was never asked to, he never asked anyone to become a Christian. He never built a steepled building. He never drew up a theological treatise. He never took an offering. He never wore religious garments. He never incorporated for tax purposes. He simply called people to follow him. That's it. That, despite its simplicity, is it. He called people to follow him. It is never more than Jesus' call, follow me. And a response, dropping familiar nets and following in faith this sandaled Jewish man. It is never more than that. 2,000 years of words can do nothing to the simple, basic reality of Christianity. Those first steps taken by those two brothers. Peter and Andrew's theology was as pure as it gets. Jesus said, follow me. And we did. So here's the issue. I think this whole concept of following me, this whole concept is not about, you know, I want to change a part of your belief system. I want to change some of your behavior. I want to change part of your lives. I want, you know, I want to change certain things. I don't think that's what it was. I think it was their entire lives. Jesus was saying, I want, I want your entire life. And let's face it, guys, let's just be honest and real with one another. Those of us that call ourselves Christians, that is something that is so tempting for us. It is so easy for us from time to time to compartmentalize our lives, right? We have our church life, we have our Christian life, we have what we do with God, and then we have the other, lo- the other parts of our lives that are segmented to different things, whether it be family, work. We've talked about that numerous, numerous times. And it is so easy to give God a part of our life versus our whole lives, That's something that many of us struggle with. Some of you in here this morning may be struggling with that. Some of you in here this morning may say, you know what, I've given him part of my life, but in all actuality, when Jesus said to you, come follow me, you're following him with a part of your life, not your whole life. And I think as we look at this, Jesus wasn't asking that from Peter and Andrew. What he was saying is, I want your whole lives. Follow me was a call to their whole lives. And Jesus issues, like I said, Jesus issues that same call to you and to to I today. Follow me. And that's far different than most people think of when they hear the word Christian or Christianity. 
And again, I'm not, I don't want to come off as bashing, the, you know, like uh, it's bad to be a Christian or if you call ourselves a Christian. We need to be cool and call ourselves Christ followers. That's not my point at all. But I want you to listen and, and engage with me as we take a look at what those words mean and how people perceive those and hear those, from, uh, hear those at different times. Christianity, you're Christian. Here are the brutal facts. And this is research done by Barna Research Group, which is a very recognized uh, research group. Here are the brutal facts. 85% of the United States, 85% of the people of the United States, which would average out to, say, 247 million, 85% of the United States say that they're Christians. 85% of the people living in America say that they're Christians. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look out across the landscape of our nation, it doesn't appear as if there's 85% of people really living that out to the way it should be lived out. And that's not a judgmental statement. That's just, say, for instance, let me share with you a couple of thoughts. First one would be to be asked the question, you know, if 85% or 247 million Americans call themselves Christians, then what difference is it making in our, in our nation? What difference do you think it's making? Listen to some of these, listen to some of these statistics. Research tells us that among people who call themselves Christians, a Christian is no more likely to give money to a homeless person on the street than a non-Christian. How many of you had, you know, and, and here's some of the things that we say, how many of you ever had that dilly of a conversation with someone that's not a Christ follower, that's not a Christian, and they say, why does it matter if I'm a Christian? I love people. And you say, yes, yes, but you can love people more. And all along, you know that there are people that are not Christians that are showing enormous, enormous amounts of compassion and love towards other people, but more so than, pe- than, than people that you know that, that call themselves Christians. You know what I'm saying? And you're having this conversation, and you're trying to rationalize it out and trying to tell this person, yes, but you're going to be able to love people like you never could love people because Jesus planned his love inside of you. I mean, that's, that's challenging to me. Because we have 85%, we have people that, are, that say that they're Christians, not so sure they really follow, follow it out. Here's another one. A Christians, are no, Christians are no more likely to correct a mistake if the cashier gives them too much change than a non-Christian. A Christian is just as likely to have an elective abortion as a non-Christian. Uh, take a look at the Right to Life site. They have the different years listed there on how many abortions take place. Uh, in the past few years, like even I think 05, I forget which one was last. I went and checked this out. It's, it's over 1.2 million per year. But yet, 85% people call themselves Christians. A Christian divorces at the same rate as those who consider themselves as non-Christians. In fact, when Barna Research Group did a survey of 152 separate items comparing the general population to the North American church, they found virtually no difference between the attitudes and actions of those inside the church and those outside of it. And yet, that's the working definition of a Christian. I'm not bashing Christianity. I'm not bashing the word Christian. What I'm saying is, there's a disconnect when Jesus called his first disciples to come follow him, it seems like that they gave their entire life to him that says, I will follow. And today, Christian is what 85% of the people in our country call themselves, but a person doesn't need to follow Jesus Christ to call themselves a Christian. So, because we compartmentalize. We say, you know what, as a Christian, it means to believe certain facts about God. It means to believe certain things. It means to maybe go to church. Or it means to pray. It means to do this. It means to do that. This is, you know, and we define ourselves. You know what I'm saying? As a Christian, this is what I do. This is what I don't do. This is what we do. Do, do, do. Don't do, don't do, don't do. Is that all there is to being a Christian? 
That can be part of it. I'm not, I'm not trying to trash it. That's not my point whatsoever. What I'm saying is, could there be a difference? Could there be some of us in here sitting this morning that we say we have been Christians for so long, but yet when we take a look at our spiritual journeys, they are very stagnant and boring and complacent? And yet we say, well, I'm a Christian. What does that mean? And when we take a look at the Word of God and we see people, when we see people answering that call to come follow Him, it's a vastly different adventure. And so this morning, I want to talk about that. And, and let me first ask you this question, though. Ask you straight up. If you consider yourself to be a Christian, how, is, that what, is that how you define Christianity by what we just talked about? Is that what that means? To believe certain spiritual things to be true and to participate in certain... Christian activities, spiritual activities. You know, I'm reminded of the words by Francis Chan in, in um, Forgotten God and some of his other writings. Francis Chan is a, I'd recommend him, uh, re, you know, for you to read uh, Crazy Love, Forgotten God, and there's another book coming out uh, here, I think next week, or this, actually this week. Uh, but anyhow, he asked the question of this. He says this. He says, you know, what, what, what's really taking place on inside? What are the things that's happening inside of you where you could say, you know what, I have no clue how this is happening other than the work of the Holy Spirit demonstrating and manifesting himself through me. Does that make sense? When you look at your life, those of you in here that are calling yourself a Christian, are there things you can look at your life and say, I don't know how in the world I'm living the life that I'm living. The only way that I can explain it is that the power of God, His Holy Spirit has control of my life, and He's doing some incredible things in and through me. That's like me saying to you guys, hey guys, I'm a professional golfer. You know, I'm a professional golfer. You know, and, 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 you know, I talk myself up, I sell the picture, I, you know, I've got my clubs, I've got, you know, I've got everything, I look the part, I mean, it's all, it's all there. And so you come one day to watch me golf, and you're like, yeah, you're not so much a professional golfer. You're posting some, you know, I don't know if you know this, but the score is supposed to be low, not high. And you look at me and you're thinking, you say you're a professional golfer, but your abilities don't match what you say that you are. My point is this. Wouldn't you, if I said that I'm a professional golfer, wouldn't you expect to see some correlation between being good and what I'm professing to be? Now, I wonder how that is with our, Christ, with our walk with Christ. We say that we're Christians. We say that we have the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that was demonstrated by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. Bringing him back to life. We say as Christians, I mean, and that's what we believe, that's what the Word of God teaches us, that's what Paul says, that that same power now lives inside of us. But yet we have these stale Christian lives. And we're not really doing anything that's extraordinary. Do you ever think about that? So... Today, I want to challenge that. I want to talk about that. I want, I want, to, I want, to think, I want us to think about that as we look at, at Jesus' calling on our lives to these first disciples. The first thing he did was putting down, you know, asked them to put down their nets or told them to put down their nets. They're going to become fishers of men. And putting down your nets means this. That's when we leave our old identity, our old identities and our old security. The things that we say, this is who I am. This defines me. We begin to set those aside because we say, you know what, that's not me anymore. That's not what defines me. That's not what I find my security in in. Think about it. How do you think of yourself? How do you define yourself? Someone says, who are you? What do you tell them? Do you tell them, well, I work at this place. This is what I do. This is my career. These are my successes. This is what, you know, I've been able to accomplish. This is what I've been able to do. This is what I do for a living. 
Or what you've got, well, this is the type of house I have, or the stuff I've got, or, you know, whatever, the toys I've got, whatever it may be. Or you may, be talk, you may talk about yourself in the terms of, of uh, relationships. You may say, well, I'm married, I have kids, or um, I have grandkids, I have X amount of grandkids, or I'm engaged, or I'm single, or maybe I'm a mom or dad, whatever it is. You know, how do you define yourself? When someone asks that question, what, you know, in your mind, what makes you, you? What makes you, you? What is your identity? What is your security? Who are you? And that's how we tend to define ourselves a lot about some of these things. But here's the issue, guys. For Christ followers, all these things I listed, they're not bad things. These things don't have to be bad things, but it's not who we are. As Christ followers, those are secondary things. Those are all secondary. In fact, Jesus had some very startling words to say about the secondary issues and items. He says this, uh, in, in, in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 10, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or your daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. And, and we've talked about this before. And, and you look at that and you read that. In one, in one, in one translation, it says hate. If you, if you don't hate your family, if you don't hate your father, mother, and your kids, you can't be my disciple. And you read that and you're like, that doesn't make sense. Why would Jesus say that? And essentially what he's saying is this. The, the, the most passionate love that you have, I mean the most intense love that you have for something or someone, that particular love should seem like hate compared to the love that you have for me. So all this other stuff, all this secondary stuff that we say, well, this is me, this is who I am. Jesus is saying, if that's not secondary, you're really not one of my disciples. You're really not following after me. And if anybody sitting in here this morning thinks Jesus just came around to ask people to be nicer and believe certain things, our, your theology's off. He called people to have a radical redefinition of who they are and what and who or, or what they will live their life for and die for. And on several occasions he said this, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So here's the issue. A Christian, uh, we could say sometimes a Christian, it, it continues to hold on to part of their lives. We, 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 we compartmentalize, whereas a Christ follower risks the whole thing. Where we say, God, my life is yours, God. I'm, I'm, giving, I'm giving the whole thing to you. So the question is, guys, you know, if, we say that we're, if you say that you're a Christian here, you're a Christ follower here this morning, let me ask you this. Have you put down your nets? Have you put down your nets? Have you put down the things that, that, that you think really identify who you are and define who you are? The things that you find security in, have you left those aside to follow hard after Jesus? Have you let your nets down? The second thing is this, following Jesus with our passions. And, and guys, I want everybody, if you're, if you're kind of drifting in and out of consciousness right now, I need you to pay very close attention because I don't want to lay this one out there and, because it sounds like it's bad theology, but I want, to, I want to be able to unpack it, okay? So please stay awake for this one. Um, this, is, this is what I want to say to you this about the passions. What we care about is more important than what we believe, what we care about is more important than what we believe. Now, here, here's what I'm here. Let me let me let me share with you what I mean by that. There was some research done on how we as humans make decisions, and I found I, this is very fascinating to me. People's decisions are six parts: emotions and experience, and only one part: information and beliefs. Six to one. Our decisions are weighted six to one. What we care about, we are passionate about six more times than what we believe. 
Let me ask you a question. Those of you that are parents in here this morning, let's say you were camping in the northwest and you're out camping and, and a grizzly bear comes up and takes one of your kids. Information says, don't go after it because that bear can kill me as well, right? Who am I to contend with a bear? You're not even going to process that information, are you? Nature's going to seemingly just take over. Your emotions is just going to take over. They've got your child. And I'm not talking about those of you that have teenagers, okay? Because some of you may be, yeah, all right, let's go. You know, take it. I'm talking about, you, you know what I'm saying? Or if your child was behind a car or something like that. Common sense says, I mean, information says don't do it. Your emotions will take over automatically. There are things that you are extremely passionate about. And as a Christ follower, it means that we care about what Jesus was passionate about. And the one thing that always got Jesus' attention and caught his eye were the needs of the people of people. So many times in the Bible, Jesus was on his way and he was going there, going that way, teaching or doing whatever. And, and it says this Jesus saw the people and was filled with compassion. Times where he saw people and he said it, it appeared as if they were sheep lost without a shepherd. He was so passionate about people. So passionate about people. He had incredible passion about people. Listen to this. And again, not bashing, not bashing the words Christians and Christ. Well, that's not my point, but listen. Christians are more defined about what they believe. Some of us will sit in here and we are defined about what we believe and what we don't believe. Christ followers are defined about what they care about, what they're passionate about. And they care about the things that Jesus cared about the most. Christians believe in going to church, but Christ followers are passionate about being the world-changing missional force that God intended the church to be. Christians believe they should help others, but Christ followers are passionate about it, whether the need is for food or job or or an eternity-changing relationship with Jesus. They do what Jesus did. They offer help, hope, and healing. You know what? I, want to just, I just want to say this real quick. I think this is part of who we are as element. I think we get it when it comes to some, when this whole concept of, of being moved by compassion. I don't know how you can't say that we're not moved by compassion when we take all of our Easter offerings and we give it towards, we, we, we take all of that and give it towards trying to provide hope to someone in a hopeless world. We're supporting two single moms, separate issue, two separate entities, two single moms, uh, um, with, you know, with families, single mothers, or what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Anyhow, they have kids. They're single. They uh, were paying their rent. Both of them were paying their rent for a year. I think it's awesome. I think we looked at that and we saw the need. We saw, and it moved us to compassion. And we took, our, we took those resources and we gave it. And to me, that is just so exciting. The CPC thing that we did, we raised almost $2,000 through change. Through change. Just coins, change. Some of you may have given bills and made a couple other things, made some large donations, whatever. But my point is, I think it's really, I think we are moved by compassion. We get it to some point that that's what Christ would do, and we're moved by that. We've done that before. When we did, remember the whole Haiti thing where we sent off, what did we raise, like $15,000, $20,000, something like that, for two cargo containers of corn to go to Haiti after the earthquake? That's awesome. We don't do that stuff because that's what we're supposed to do. We do it because we're moved by compassion. And that's what, G- that's what Christ followers do. So I think that's, you know, it's, it's, I just want to say that that's cool, that, that it's awesome to be part of a community of believers that get it in that sense. And so the issue is this, as Christ followers, are we dropping our nets? Are we laying down our nets and are we following hard after him with our passions? And the last one is this, are we following with our actions? And here's the issue with, there is a direct 
correlation between passion and being proactive. Whatever you're passionate about, you're going to be proactive. Right? Whatever you're passionate about, it's just some of us, it's so easy as humans to become passionate about things that have no eternal significance whatsoever. I'll throw myself under the bus on this one. I, you know, when it comes time to watch, you know, when I watch sports, I've got my favorite teams. And I will sit and I will watch my teams. And if they lose, I'm so passionate about them. If they lose, it literally affects my emotions at times. It's weird. It's stupid. It's absolutely stupid. And don't look at me like you don't do that either. We get upset, you know, when our teams lose. My wife will look at me on a Saturday and be like, I guess your team lost today, didn't they? So I'm walking around all in a funk. But I become passionate about it. And I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that it's, it, it is what it is. And I'm saying that I know that you do it too. So don't be judging me as I sit up here. But we, we do that. You guys have things that you're passionate about when you take a critical look at it. They have no eternal significance behind it whatsoever. The key issue is this. Are we passionate about following Jesus? Are we passionate about following him with our actions? Because what we're passionate about does equal being proactive. We will put legs behind things that we're passionate about. It's just the way it is. It's what it is. And the more passionate we are, the more passionate we are, the more initiative that we have, the more proactive and and initiative we tend to be. And to be a follower of Jesus means that we don't only care about what Jesus cared about. It means that we're going to go where Jesus is going. Not went, but is going. Folks, let me tell you this. Jesus isn't standing still. He isn't some person who came down and did the whole crucifixion thing and said, hey, here's your fire insurance, just kind of hang out until, you know, you die and, you know, you'll come and be with me. Uh, Either I come back or if you die, then you'll come and be with me. That's not the way it is. He's not sitting in one place like in heaven or simply just residing inside of us. No, Jesus is living and he's active. He's always on the move. He's working in people's lives. He's changing hearts. And there are places that he wants to take you. There are places he wants to take me. There are places that he wants to take us on our journeys. And a lot of times what we do is we buck, kick, we act like little kids at times because we don't see the big picture. We don't see all the details. And Jesus said, I didn't say that I was going to give that to you in the first place. All he says is, come follow me. And you're going to be on a ride. You're going to be on the ride of your life. It is an adventure. And some of us are control freaks. Some of us get all scared and frustrated and angry because we want all the details from Jesus. And that's not the way it is. But the question is, have you dropped your nets? Are you following him with your passions? Are you following him with your actions? Are you willing to go where he's going and already is? And he's saying, come on, come on, let's go. I want to make a difference here. And following him means a change of outward direction to go. And when he says to go, you see, here's the issue. For many of us as Christians, we define ourselves by what we know. We could sit down and say, and I'm not saying it's wrong, you know, it's completely wrong, but we can sit down and say, let me just share with you my, how I ooze spiritual maturity because I can just really tell you about a lot of stuff that's in the Bible. I can sit down and wax on all, you know, eloquently wax on about all these things. We can sit around and talk about when Jesus is coming and, you know, my views upon that and all of that stuff. And that's what we do. We get in our little huddles, our little classes, our... Not saying those things are wrong. I'm just saying that a lot of times we just, that's what we naturally gravitate towards where Jesus is saying, let's go, let's move, let's do something here. Let's be a part of something. Let's reach out. Let's make a difference in the world. 
But yet we define ourselves by how much we know, how much spiritual information we have in the brain. Christ followers don't focus on the knowing part. They focus on the going part. Just like the first followers here by the lake, Jesus said, follow me. What did they do next? Jesus said, follow me. What did they do next? At once, they left their nets and followed him. Amazing. His followers didn't stay put. They didn't say, hey, we need to know where you're going. Hey, take me through a six-weekend class to kind of work through this stuff. They followed him. This is how one person put it. He said, and see if it makes sense to you, spiritual maturity isn't about what you know. It's about how quickly you're willing to go. Spiritual maturity is not about how much you know about Leviticus or Zechariah or sanctification or propitiation or all these other things, but it's about going. It's about how quick you're going. So here's the issue. When we take a look about where we're at, this is it. This is how we know. Growing as a Christ follower is about how much time elapses between when Jesus says to do something and when we do it. And when we do it. It's about when Jesus says, let's go, let's move. The question is, are we moving? And that's how you can define whether, how deep you are in your, with your spiritual maturity. When Jesus says, let's go, how long does it take you to get up and get moving? How long does it take you to get on the path to follow him? The big question I want to leave you with is this. Would you say over the past six months, the time it takes for you to follow what Jesus says, to go where he says to go, to do what he says to do, over the past six months, is that time increasing or decreasing? Does that make sense? In your spiritual walk, when you really think about it, when you think about you, when you when you look about when you look at your spiritual walk over the past six months, when Jesus first of all, can you hear Jesus talking to you, or is your mind so cluttered? Is your pace so quick with your stuff that you don't you know you don't hear him moving or see him moving? But the question is this: when you do, when he says, "Let's go, let's do, let's let's head in this direction." The time that he says that until you actually follow through, is that time increasing or is it decreasing? Followership means, means having less and less time between when Jesus says move and, we, and we're moving. I want to read to you a couple more excerpts, for, or just another excerpt from the book uh, that we, re, we talked about early, earlier. And listen, listen to this as I close. It says, Jesus was not a Christian. He never asked anyone to become a Christian. He simply called people to follow him. That's it. That, despite its simplicity, is it. He called people to follow him. The first two were brothers, Simon and Andrew. Regular guys, simple fishermen, the first two Christians ever. Those brothers didn't think at all about becoming Christians or taking on a new religion. Here was a 30-year-old man, a carpenter, who simply said, follow me. And they believed him. So in faith, these two brothers gave their lives to him, literally, putting down their familiar nets and following him. Here was the birthplace of a way of life, of a reality that would change their world or the world forever. This following of Jesus proved to be such a thrilling adventure and proved to be so worth it that the initial Jesus followers couldn't help but tell others about it. It had really been news to them, and, once, and so once they realized just how good that news really was, they just had to tell someone else. When that small band became a larger crowd, people had to refer to them somehow. So folks started calling them people, people of the way. Their way was to abandon themselves to following this Jesus, who they unflinchingly believed was their long-awaited Messiah, 
that their people have been waiting for for centuries. And since the Greeks translated the word Messiah as Christ, folks started calling the Jesus followers Christ ones or Christians, as it ended up getting put. And it seems that the name stuck. So Christianity is simply the word folks coined to refer to those Christians and all their adventures. Plain old Christianity. Not a set of dogmatic principles. Not a life philosophy. Not an outdated old religious institution. But a peculiar band of people. That group of followers that's been on the move for the past 2,000 years. Busy, doggedly following this Jesus. Are you part of that band? Can you hear Jesus today saying... I want you to come follow me. I want you to put down your nets. I want you to redirect your passions. And I want you to live this life out, this adventure, this calling. You don't have all the answers. You're not going to get all the answers. I just want you to trust me, and I want you to follow me. As we close with this last song, uh, we already sang it once, but I can't think of a better fitting song that we could sing than that says, I will follow. Would you use this as a statement of your um, um, commitment this morning to the call that Jesus has for our lives to follow him?